Well, praise the Lord. Haven't you been blessed already? Amen. I, it is a great pleasure of mine to introduce to you this morning Dr. Tony Wolf. Brother Tony uh, came to serve on staff with me back 17, 18, 19 years ago. Uh, brought him out of South Louisiana. He's still got a little Cajun in him and, and still rooting for LSU. God love him. But uh, <laughs> you'll find a friend or two out here. They'll, they're out here. Uh, he's been a tremendous blessing to so many. He's been minister of music. He's been pastor. Now he is the director of church, uh, pastor church relations for the Southern Baptist of Texas. And uh, he's done a tremendous job. Uh, he's attended Liberty University, Southwestern, has a doctorate from Southwestern. And, but most of all, he's just a good old. Want to cut out then. That's just how the devil is. Amen. I was just saying, he's one of us, amen? So would you make him feel welcome this morning? Brother Tony, you come. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> amen. We'll take a Bible and turn to Psalm 67. Psalm 67 this morning. What a joy to be with you. Uh, hopefully you know this, but let me say it just in case you don't. Uh, this man, Charles Hunt, loves you. He is devoted to you. He is passionate about what God is doing in this church and through this church. And you are a blessed people to call this man your pastor. Amen. Amen. Psalm 67. Now, I do come to you on behalf of 2,722 churches across the state of Texas who are the Southern Baptists of Texas Convention. Those churches are diverse in many ways. They're diverse in their ethnicity, in their geographic location, obviously, their styles of worship, uh, the attire they wear on Sunday mornings. They're diverse in so many ways, but they're all unified in this very important way. And that they actually believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the living God. And they're willing to state their claim on it. Amen. So these churches who actually believe in the God of the Bible and the Bible in which he reveals himself are locking arms together to take the name and the fame of Jesus Christ around the corner and across the globe through what's called the cooperative program. You are faithful participants in the cooperative program where you voluntarily pull your receipts through an undesignated giving platform by which uh, you and those other other 2,721 churches across Texas are taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. That's what we're, now we're all strong in Christ Jesus. This is a strong church in Christ Jesus, amen? But we are even stronger together, right? So you're able to say, because of your faithful partnership through the cooperative program of the SBTC, you're able to say that last year in 2018, this church, Woodland Hills in Longview, Texas, you fully funded the salaries of 3,600 missionaries across the globe. You did that. You uh, scholarshiped 22,000 seminary students who are the leaders of the church today and tomorrow in six different Southern Baptist seminaries across the United States. You planted hundreds of churches in overpopulated, underreached cities across North America, many of those, dozens of those right here in the state of Texas. You did this. You encouraged and equipped and resourced small church and bivocational pastors. You trained lay leaders in over 100 different areas of ministry leadership. You did all of these things because you are the Southern Baptists of Texas Convention. So thank you, not only for the honor of opening God's word for you this morning, which I'm very excited about doing here in Longview, Texas, but also for having the great joy and the great honor of serving you on behalf of the Southern Baptists of Texas Convention. 
Psalm 67. Have you found it yet? If not, then you probably need to turn to my favorite book of the Bible, The Table of Contents. You can find it there. I was teaching a marriage seminar not too long ago, and uh, for some reason I was looking for Zechariah. And I was talking and stalling and talking and stalling while I'm flipping through the pages, and I straight up had to turn to the table of contents to find (laughs) Zechariah. Amen, hallelujah, no judgment here. Well, I'm here this morning to talk to you about the end of God's blessing. The end of God's blessing. Now, before you get up and walk out, let me qualify this. I don't mean that God's blessings are going to end sometime soon in your life. What I mean by the end of God's blessing is the end game. How many of you saw Marvel's end game, right? The end game, the whole point, the purpose. Why does God bless? Have you ever thought about this? Let me ask you this. Has God blessed you? Well, that's two or three of you, and that's good. (laughs) Has God blessed you? Okay, great. Now, have you thought to ask the question, why? Why would God bless us? Because as far as I know, whenever we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become eternal creatures recreated in heaven's glory. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our residence is on earth for a short time, but our citizenship is in heaven. So we are eternal creatures recreated in God's glory through repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. Why would God give eternal creatures temporary blessings. I mean, you got to check them all at the gates of heaven anyway, right? As soon as you get there, you're not going to be taking any, any of the world's glory, any of the world's good. You're not going to be able to transport that with you into heaven. You're going to have to check it at the gate. So why does God give temporary blessings to eternal creatures? Well, surely one reason is because he just, he loves you, right? God is a, a good God who knows how to give good gifts to the children he loves, but there's got to be more than that. There's got to be more than that. And I'm here to show you this morning that there is more to it. There's a bigger reason why God gives you his blessings. There's an end game. There's a purpose to all of this blessing. I want to show you that from Psalm 67. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. Psalm 67, verses 1 through 7. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. If your translation is different, it'll probably use different words but convey the same meaning. Psalm 67, beginning in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 6, the earth has produced its harvest God, our God, blesses us, God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Pray with me. Father, we come gathered in this place this morning, honestly believing that this is your inspired, inerrant, infallible word, that it is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. God, there's not a single person in this room today, including myself, who came here to hear a word from me. God, we came here to meet with and hear from you. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak very clearly and very compellingly through the presentation, representation of your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would have complete access to the deep places of our hearts so that when we walk out of here today, we can walk out knowing that it's been good to meet with the living, loving God of the ages. We ask it in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Have a seat. Thank you. Psalms. Well, the Psalms are songs. 
The Psalms are songs, and just like every other song, Psalms are written artistically, and they're written poetically. So I want to point out a couple of things before we really get into the meat, and let me show you a couple of things from the text. These are nerdy things, so if you don't like nerdy preachers, take a nap for three minutes. I'll catch up with you in a minute. But here's the first nerdy thing I want to show you from the text, and it's, first of all, the reference to the words nations or peoples. Your Bible and my Bible translates this, these words nations and peoples eight times in seven verses. Okay, and the first Hebrew word, he uses three Hebrew words. The first word is goi. Goi means non-Jews, all the Gentiles. Obviously, the Psalms, we're, we're looking at a Jewish songbook here. So he's saying all the goi, all the non-Jews. In the, in the New Testament, they would call them Gentiles. All the, all the non-Jews are benefactors of this psalm. The second word that he uses is om. Om means an ethnic group, a group of people, a people, a group of people who share a common language, a common cultural heritage, a common background, sometimes even a common geographic location. Currently, there are 12,000 identifiable oms, people groups on the face of the planet. 12 thousand different groups of people who share a common cultural background, common language, common ancestral DNA, 12,000 groups of people. Over 400 of them live in Texas. All the um. The third word that he uses, translated peoples and nations here, is the word leom. Leom in Hebrew means assembly or gathering, much like what we're doing here today. That all of the assemblies, wherever they may gather across the face of the globe, might come to know and worship the one true God. Whatever the point of this psalm is, all the goi, all the am, all the leom, all of the people groups across the whole planet are to be the benefactors of this psalm. That's the first nerdy thing for me to point out. The second nerdy thing for me to point out about this psalm is its structure. Let me show you something about the structure. Look back in your text, no matter what translation you have. In verse 1, through paragraphs and indentation, you see that verse 1 is made up of two poetic lines. The first poetic line, may God be gracious to us and bless us. The second, may he make his face shine upon us. Do you see that? Two poetic lines. Verse 2, two poetic lines. Verse 3, two poetic lines. Skip to verse 5, two poetic lines. Verse 6, two poetic lines. Verse 7, two poetic lines. Now look at verse 4. How many poetic lines are here in verse 4? Three. Three poetic lines. Now why God, in all of his sovereignty, through the work of the Holy Spirit, would, would inspire this author to write this song with two poetic lines in every single verse except for the middle one. The middle one that has three verses. Can I tell you why? Because verse 4 is the whole point of the song. Everything else wraps itself around and makes a presentation of verse 4. Verse 4 is the point. This is kind of like a psalm sandwich. You get hungry? Some sandwich. No, I don't know what you guys do here for uh, Thanksgiving, but I'm from South Louisiana, God's country. And uh, <laughs> I love Texas. This is so much fun. I'm from South Louisiana. I don't know what you people do in East Texas with your turkeys in Thanksgiving, but we deep fry those suckers where I'm from. You know what I mean? Like you might, you might do something ungodly and unbiblical, like bake them or stuff them or smoke them or something like that. 
But in South Louisiana, we decided we would go ahead and prepare our turkeys like God will prepare them in heaven. And that is, that is butter-basted, Cajun-injected, Tony Sashery patted down, deep-fried in peanut oil. Amen. Hallelujah. You look at it and your arteries start clogging. You know, that's good stuff. So that's what we do on Thursday for Thanksgiving in the Wolf House. And then what do you do? You eat turkey all day on Thursday. And then what do you do on Friday? Turkey sandwiches. All day long. I'm talking about turkey sandwich for breakfast, turkey sandwich for brunch, turkey sandwich for lunch, turkey sandwich for lupper. Y'all know nothing about lupper here in East Texas, do you? Turkey sandwich for dinner, turkey sandwich for midnight snack, turkey. And I'm, I'm all in. I'm good with a sandwich because I like the meat in the middle, right? Well, this is a psalm sandwich, and the meat is in the middle. And that's what I want you to see today. Here's the point of the sermon. I'm going to say the whole sermon in one sentence. And you'd say, Tony, great. You can say that sentence, and we'll go home. Not how it works. Here's the point of the psalm in one sentence. That all people everywhere would know and worship the one true God. That all people everywhere would know and worship the one true God. Well, let's peel back this first layer in verses 1 and 2, the top piece of bread here in verses 1 and 2, and this is what we're going to find. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Look at it in verses 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. By the way, it's just a restatement of Aaron's priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6. Verse uh, 2 says, So that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all peoples. Now, there's two common ways that we either misinterpret or misappropriate God's blessings in our lives. And the first way that we we misuse God's blessings is when we value the blessing, listen, more than the blesser. Have you ever caught yourself in that? Where you start to value the blessings more than the blesser. Now we have biblical examples of this. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus healed ten men from leprosy. They had one prayer in their life, and that was that they would be healed from leprosy. And Jesus met them on the road. He imparted the grace of God through the healing that comes flowing from the power of the Holy Spirit. He healed them from their deepest uh, affliction, physical affliction. He sent them on their way to present themselves clean to the priests. And on the road, they are perfectly cleansed and healed from leprosy. Ten lepers. How many came back to thank Jesus? One. You know why? Because the nine valued the blessing more than they valued the blesser. Now we have a positive example of this uh, a few chapters earlier in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is calling the first disciples to himself to be followers of Jesus. He sees them out on the sea and they're fishing. Now this is their trade. They know what they're doing. They know how to fish as their family business. And they're out there in the boat and they're just having a bad day. You ever had a bad day fishing? Still better than a you know, a good day at work, right? So they're having a bad day fishing. They're not making, of course, not for them, it's not just not catching fish. It's not making money. This is their livelihood. And Jesus hollers out from the shore, and he says, cast your net on the other side. And if I were those men in the boat, I'd think, who is that guy? This is my business. I know what I'm doing, right? But in simple faith, in the words of the Lord Jesus, they cast their net on the other side of the boat and they raked in a hall that was bigger than anything they'd ever caught before, almost sunk the boat. They got it back shouting and, and, and leaping and, and so joyful, got it back to the bank, to the shore, and they saw Jesus there, and what did they do? They dropped the fish, they dropped the net, they left the boat, 
They left the family business behind to follow Jesus. You know why? Because they value the blesser more than the blessing. So here's, here's what I'm here to ask you first of all. In what ways might you have sought and valued the hand of God over the heart of God? In what ways might you have received the blessings of God and you were so focused on the blessings that you've completely missed the joy of following the blesser? Has God blessed you? Yes. Has God blessed you abundantly more than you deserve? Yes. Has God blessed you abundantly more than you can even contain? Yes. What are you doing with the blessings God's given? That's the first way we misappropriate or abuse God's blessing when we value the blessing more than the blesser. The second way that we often uh, abuse God's blessings, get this, is when we embrace the downward direction of God's blessings without embracing the outward injunction of God's blessings. Now, an injunction is just a command. It's an instruction. So are you following me here? Sometimes we value the downward direction of God's blessings. Listen to me. Every blessing you have and have ever received has come down to you from the Father of lights. Everything that you have is a gift from God. I'm not just talking about your finances. I'm talking about your finances, your relationships, your education, your work, your social circle, your hobbies, all of these things, your time. They're all things that God has blessed you with. God knows how to give good gifts to the children he loves. God, God sends these blessings down from heavens. My Bible tells me that God is able to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. He's the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills on which they reside. He's the one who owns the earth and everything in it. Every blessing that I have has come down to me from the Father. Okay, but those blessings that have come down to me carry with them an outward injunction. They have a purpose. And you're asking your good people, Pastor Charles, I know him well, he, is, uh, he has taught you to say, okay, Tony, that sounds great, but where is it in the text? If the Bible don't say it, we don't do it, right? So here we go. Let's get back to the text in verse 2. Look at it. At the end of verse 1, he says, May he make his face shine upon us, may he bless us. Verse 2 says, So that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all peoples. So the, the urgency and the intention of this command is in the so thatness of verse 2. Why does God bless us? So that his way may be known on the earth. So that all people everywhere will know the salvation that's found through simple repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, the gifts of God flow to us so that they might flow through us. All the time. God's blessings flow to us so that they can flow through us. Another way to say this is, God's blessings are meant to fuel God's mission. God's blessings are meant to fuel God's mission. And that means whatever form these blessings take in your life, whether you're a teenager or an adult or a senior adult or a child who's in here, every blessing that God has given you, he's given it to you so that he can give it through you. So that's the, uh, the, the first slice of bread there, that the end of God's blessing is not our personal comfort so that we can sit and soak in God's blessings, but God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. Now let's dig into the meat here in verses 3 through 5, the, the meat of the psalmist, what we're going to see. Our heart's desire must be that the nations know and worship the one true God. Our heart's desire must be that the nations know and worship the one true God. Look at verses 3 through 5. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then look at verse 5 because it repeats that. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 4, the meat of the psalm sandwich says, Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Speaking of sandwiches, 
I went to a new restaurant the other day and they had like a book of a menu. You ever been to one of those restaurants where they're like 900 pages on their menu and you don't even want to look through it all. You just kind of have to ask the waiter or the waitress, hey, what's good here because I'm not about to read all that, you know? Well, I turned to the burger section and they had like nine or ten burgers listed. They had a buffalo burger and a double bacon cheeseburger and a, and a blue cheeseburger and a, uh, amen, like, I mean, it was so good. There were so many good things. And then I came across this abomination on the menu. Veggie burger, $9. I had two thoughts immediately. One, who would pay $9 for a salad on a bun? And two, what a disgrace to burgers everywhere. That you would actually call that a burger. Veggie burger, $9. That's ridiculous. Right under it, it said, add bacon, $2. Now, I'm no iron chef, not really even all that smart, but I think it's safe to say that if you go to a restaurant and order the veggie burger and add bacon, you done missed the whole point of the matter, right? Well, let's not miss the point of the matter. The meat's in the middle, and verse 4 is the point, and the point is that our heart's desire must be that the nations know and worship the one true good, one true God. Here's the point. Here's verse 4 in a nutshell. Are you ready for this? It's going to blow your mind. You've never heard this before. Here's why this psalm is so important in verse 4. Because God is so good. God is so good. I mean, just the thought of his goodness and his grace to us should get our spiritual saliva glands moistening. God is so, so, so good. If only the nations knew him. How is God good? Glad you asked. Well, first of all, it says that he judges the people with fairness. How many of you had to go through a, a national security checkpoint to get to church this morning? How many of you had to walk through armed government guards at the door who were holding M16s and were checking your IDs at the door? How many of you left your house this morning wondering if the government had shut down the church? None of you. You know why? Because we don't have a context to understand this in the American culture. We are so blessed, aren't we, to live in a culture where we have the freedom to assemble and worship the God of the Bible. Amen? Thank God for this. But there are nations all over the globe who know not this freedom. There are nations all over the globe who are oppressed who are mistreated by their government. Their government steals from them. Their government murders them for convenience. And oh, if they only knew, if they only knew how good our God is, that he judges people with fairness. I mean, if you could just, if you could just say, hey guys, let me introduce you to the God of the Bible who loves you infinitely and, and passionately, who created you in his image and after his likeness. And no matter what these people do on the earth, God judges all people with fairness. Oh, he is so good. But not only does God judge all the peoples with fairness, he goes on here explaining God's goodness by saying that he leads all the nations on earth. You see that in verse 4? God leads all the nations on the earth. Okay, let me ask you a question. How are you going to lead somebody when they don't even know they're following? Because as far as I know, the only definition of a leader is somebody who's got followers. So would you look at some of these godless nations across the globe and say, oh yeah, they're following the Lord? Of course you wouldn't. 
You wouldn't look out and say, yeah, 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 the Lord is leading them. He, they're following. You wouldn't say that. So you've got to think about this text in a different light. And here's what's so powerful and what's so good about this text. Because God is so good, not only does he judge the people with fairness, but he leads the nations on earth whether they know it or not. A lot of times uh, we think of, of history as being cyclical, right? It just comes around, it all comes, that's like bell bottoms coming back in. Y'all remember Jabot's? <laughs> I lost somebody the other day wearing Jabot's. I was like, flashback, right? It all comes back, it all comes back. History is cyclical. I got news for you, history is not cyclical. Sometimes we think of history as a pendulum, right? Swings one, every generation reacts against the next, right? Traditional, contemporary. Traditional, contemporary. How about the political realm? Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican. Doesn't that bless your heart? Right? It's just a big pendulum. We just swing back and forth. I got news for you. History is not a pendulum. History is linear. It's headed somewhere. History began with in the beginning God, and it will end with even so come Lord Jesus. And right now, we are living the middle. Right now, your life and my life, it's like that. It's very quick, and God has invited us to the meat of this psalm. He's invited us to sing the song in our life. He's invited us to enjoy the morsels of God's goodness and God's grace for the nations as, as we follow him and as we leverage the resources he has given so that the nations might know and worship the one true God. This is how good God is. Isn't he good? There are eight billion people on the planet. Eight billion people on the planet. I, I don't have a context to understand that number, so I had to do some research. I did some research. You ready for this? If you were to travel 8 billion miles, you could fly around the world 321,272 times. 8 billion miles. If you could save $100,000 a year, it would take you 80,000 years to save $8 billion. If you could live for only 8 billion minutes, you would die at the young age of 15,221. These last two are really going to bless your heart. 8 billion Coca-Colas ago, it was last Wednesday. Isn't that crazy? Somebody should have bought stock in Coca-Cola. Here's this last one. This is going to get you if none of the rest of them have. This is going to make you smile and walk out filled and joyous. The rate at which the U.S. government currently spends money. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, should I? I'm already in it now. The rate at which the U.S. government currently spends money $8 billion ago. It was 3 o'clock yesterday afternoon. You're welcome. How is the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ going to reach 8 billion people on the planet? God only has one plan, just one. He has one plan to propagate the gospel among the nations. You know what that plan is? It's you. The local, Holy Spirit-filled, Word-equipped New Testament church. That's God's only plan to take the gospel to the nations. And he doesn't need another plan. You know why? Because he's commissioned you, he's empowered you, he's filled you, he's gifted you, and he's called you, and he is releasing you, not so his downward blessings can end with you, but so that through you his blessings might reach the nations, that the nations might know and worship.
the one true God. You ever wondered what God is up to in the world? I mean, you look around, you see hurricanes, you see uh, tornadoes. Man, last couple of weeks have been crazy for tornadoes in Texas. Uh, you see oppression, church bombings, church shootings, uh, cancer, and, and children dying way before their time. Oh, have you ever wondered, just looked around and said, God, what, what in the world are you doing? I can tell you what God's doing. God right now is doing the same thing he's been doing for the past several millennia. He is redeeming people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. He's cleansing them from their sin, making them fit for heaven, where, where one day they're all going to gather together around the throne of Jesus and proclaim the praises of the one who has transferred them out of darkness and into his marvelous life. That's what God's doing. That's God's plan. You don't have to wonder what God's doing. All you have to do is open your eyes and see it. He is redeeming the nations for his glory. He's telling his gospel story as the generations unfold. And he's invited you to play a major role in this story. How do we do this? Well, just don't let the blessings of God end with you. God has blessed you so that he might bless others through you. That's the meat of this song, that the nations might know and worship the one true God. Any given moment in your life, including right now, you get to make a choice. If you're a Christian, if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, your choice is either to live your life or to outlive your life. Now, if you want to live your life, then go ahead and, and let the downward blessings of God end with you. Go ahead and sit on God's blessings and soak in them. If you want to live your life, then be a consumer of God's blessings. But if you want to outlive your life, be a conduit of God's blessings. If you, want to, if you want to make an eternal impact on a temporary world, then sing this song with your life and live the meat. Everything you have is gifted to you by God in heaven. And he's done so with the singular purpose that the nations might know and worship the one true God. Now let's look at that final slice of bread together here in verses 6 and 7. This is it. God is faithful to bless his children. God is faithful to bless his children. Now, this is the foundational piece of bread here. This is the, the last thing we look at in the psalm. This is the last thing the singer of the psalm wants to remember when they walk away from it. God is faithful to bless his children. Look at verses 6 and 7. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. All the ends of the earth will fear him. Now, this psalm kind of closes with a simple reminder that God is the one who turns the seasons in their time. The earth has produced its harvest. Let's not, get, let's not impose something on the text. I know you see the word harvest in the Bible and you're thinking, the harvest of souls, right? If you want an Old Testament to the harvest of souls, Joel 2 is a great place to go. But that's not what this text is about. This text is about God turning the seasons in their time. God, we put something in the soil, but you're the only one who can make something come out. God, we're the one, sure, we, we did the labor, we, we sowed, but it's by your grace that we'll reap. And here he says in verse 6, the earth has produced its harvest. That's past tense. God has blessed us. Can I tell you something that this may be the only reason you're here today? I don't believe in accidents. 
I, I don't believe in serendipity. I believe that whoever you are, God brought you here for a purpose. So I, can, I just, just want to tell you this this morning because this may be for you. Maybe nothing else in this sermon is for you, but maybe this is for you. God does not love you because of who you are. God loves you because of who he is. God loves you simply because that's his nature. He chooses to love you even when you feel unlovable. God's the one who turns the seasons. God's the one who, who makes something be produced out of our toil and out of our labor. God, God loves you because of who he is. And, and when you embrace this, then it will revolutionize the way that you engage in his global mission. God stands in need of nothing you have. He's not pacing the floors of heaven this morning thinking, oh my goodness, if that church in Longview would just find out what it looks like to surrender their blessings and leverage them for the glory of God in their time, I might actually be able to do something in the world. God's not pacing back and forth on the floors of heaven. He doesn't need your missional engagement, but he's invited you to be a part of his story as it passes through your time. What a joy. Oh man, you talk about releasing the burden that God would give us the great honor, the great honor of being an ambassador for him that the nations might know and worship the one true God. Look at it in the text in verse 6. The earth has produced its harvest. That's past tense. God, our God, blesses us. That's present tense. God will bless us. What's that? Future tense. Come on now. So, so God's saying that on the basis of my past blessing and on the basis of my present blessings and on the promise of my future blessings, you are invited to leverage everything you have and everything you ever will have for my glory that the nations might know and worship the one true God during your lifetime. There's never a reason for Christians to sit and soak on the promises of God as if we need to store up God's yesterday blessings so that we might have them today. Or as if we might need to store up for ourselves God's yesterday and today blessings because we might need them tomorrow. No, God is, God is faithful to bless his children. He blessed you in the past. He's blessing you now. You can count on him to bless you in the future as long as you are leveraging those blessings for the glory of his name in this generation. God is faithful to bless his children. And here's what I would say. Here's, but this is my cry to the Lord. God has been faithful to me. God is faithful to me. God will be faithful to me. Count me in. <laughs> I'm in. Whatever you want, God. I, mean, I don't own anything anyway. He owns all of it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So whatever you want from me, however you want these blessings, whether they're financial or relational or educational or institutional or occupational or familial, whatever these blessings are that you've poured on me, God, I'm all in. They're all yours. Let them flow through me so that the nations might know and worship the one true God. If you want purpose, if you want to know the value of why God called you his son or his daughter, if you want to live your life in such a way that you outlive it, then sing this song and live the meat. Now, you might have gathered here this morning from any number of walks of life. You could have come with all kinds of baggage and, and you may even be thinking, okay, Tony, that sounds really cool, but I'll be honest with you, 
hadn't really bought into this whole Jesus thing yet. Not really sure. Can I tell you, you are so welcome here. I spent some time with some of your leaders yesterday, and, and I can just tell you on their behalf, and I know Charles so well and Becky, and I would tell you that if you have questions about faith, if you have questions about Jesus, if you have questions about the Bible, can I just tell you, you are so welcome here. This is a great place to walk side by side, shoulder to shoulder with people so that you can come to know God and that he will call you to repentance. You're so welcome here. But can I just tell you something that hopefully is going to change your life today? Whoever you are, whatever walk of life you've come from into this place, God created you in his image and after his likeness, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And his plan and his purpose for your life is so much bigger and so much better than anything you could ever dream up for yourself. He loves you with an infinite, unfailing love. But your problem is the same as my problem. Every one of us has sinned against God. I'm not perfect. And neither are you. The problem is God is holy and perfect and just and pure and righteous. And I'm, I'm so far from that. Knowing this, and out of the great love that he had for you, God has made a way for sinful, scarred people like you and me to spend eternity in heaven with him. God has made a way for men and women like you and me to be cleansed from our sin and made fit for an eternal home in heaven. God made that way in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son on the cross of Calvary. God the Son endured the full rate of the Father's wrath against sin. Father poured out his wrath against sin on Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross and then he rose up from the dead on the third day, sealing victory over sin, death, and hell for everyone who would believe throughout the generations no matter their geographic location. This is the God of the Bible, and I'm here to tell you, this is the real deal. This is the real deal. You would say, Tony, that's such an extravagant gift. I mean, I don't deserve something like that. Can I tell you? You're right. I don't either. But God didn't wait for you to clean yourself up. God didn't wait for you to make yourself presentable before you come to him. He took the initiative. In the person of Jesus Christ, God came to you. And he stands ready even this morning to receive you in his grace, to call you a son or a daughter of the Most High God, to cleanse you from that sin that's holding over your head and to make you fit for an eternal home in heaven. Tony, how do I receive such an extravagant gift? Call on the name of Jesus today. You'll be saved. It's not more complicated than that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me now as we come into a time of response where we get to do something with God's word instead of just being a hearer of it only? Can I ask you, while no one's looking around and the musicians are coming forward and Pastor Charles is coming forward to ready, ready to receive you, heads bowed, eyes closed, let me ask you this. Do you know for sure that if you died today, you'd spend eternity in heaven with God? Has there been a moment in your life where you look back and you said, that's the day I gave my life to Jesus, and I've never been the same. If you've not had that moment in your life, don't reject Jesus today. I don't know if you have tomorrow, but I know you have right now. So if you're saying, Tony, that's me, I don't know if I'm saved, then just right now, right where you are, silently in your heart, pray to God. He's listening. Something like this. You can repeat these words after me, just between you and God. God, I know I've sinned against you. I know I don't deserve forgiveness but this morning, for the first time in my life, I'm ready to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for my sin, 
and rose from the dead on the third day. Forgive me for my sin, God. Show me what it looks like to live for you. If you prayed that simple prayer or something like it, inviting Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, then as soon as we begin to sing in just a minute, you need to step out of your pew, down one of these aisles, and find Pastor Charles down front. Here's what you need to say. Charles, I gave my life to Jesus today. What's next? He'll take it from there. Father, I pray that supernaturally through the workings of your Holy Spirit and out of your great grace and love for us, that those who've gathered in this place today who have heard your word, God, I pray that you would make us doers of it. Lord, I know there are those who've come this morning who have not made the decision to be a follower of Jesus. They can't point back to that time and say, yeah, that's the day I gave my life to Jesus. And I'll never be the same. Not had one of those moments. So God, I pray that today's the day. They're not here by accident. They're here on purpose. And so God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do the work in their hearts to draw them to faith in Jesus Christ, that they would pray that prayer to trust you as Savior, that they would, you would put that faith in their feet today and that they would step out of their pew and down an aisle and find Pastor Charles or one of the other pastors and say, I gave my life to Jesus today. What's next? Lord, for others in this place, some of us who've been Christians for a long time, but honestly are under conviction that we've been hoarding your blessings and sitting on them as if their purpose is to end with me. God, forgive us. And God, show us what it looks like and how to accomplish this in our particular lives and with our specific blessings that when we walk out of here, out of this place today, we'll be able to say, yeah, it's been good to be in the house of God and I know some things I need to change about my life right now. So, Lord, however you want to move and whatever you need to do in this place, God, this time is yours. So, Father, I pray that through the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would make us obedient. God, you are so faithful to us. In this moment, find us faithful to you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.